Hi, James. Ben, how are you? Well, the the anxious audience wants to know, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing all right. I, I have some advice to everybody listening. Don't get in a fight with a surgeon, much less two, because you will not win that fight. You, you got in a fight? Uh, well, no, but they attacked me and they, they won. They, they, they had one guy put me down and then another two attacked me while I was out. It was most unfair. That's the strangest characterization of a <laughs> elective surgery I think I've ever heard. It's probably true. You know, I'm but, doing. A- but you're, you, you, clearly, you're doing well because we are we are having an unscheduled or or what was thought to be a canceled podcast. But, We're but back. Here you are. Yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm doing much better than I was five or six days ago. Um, and I saw the doctors again. Um, uh, yesterday, and they were saying that everything went well. So, um, yeah, uh, we're back. Well, this podcast is already legendary. The 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 unexpected James crawling out of his hospital bed to to his microphone to record. Uh, I, we, we better move up to it. I I missed you, Ben. What could I say? So, um, we talked uh, just a little bit in passing before we kind of get to the 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 the, the topic of the day, mm. um, which is Apple and and the iPhone. SE. Um, we talked a little bit last week about Apple, kind of in kind of in passing. Almost actually, I almost cut it from the podcast because the podcast was it was a little long and it was kind of a very self contained part. But uh, I left things as interesting about Apple and the cloud and mm. and Dropbox. And it, interestingly enough, uh, you know, we tried. I, th- I actually thought last week I was really pleased. I think it was one of the best jobs we've done in articulating why it is Apple struggles with the cloud and like yeah. wh- why and why those struggles have nothing to do with like desire or or skill necessarily, but how it really flows from the sort of company that Apple is and the sort of priorities they have and, and those sorts of things. Mm. Along those lines, there was a a very interesting information uh, yesterday in the information, basically going uh, – well, the title says it all. Inside Apple's cloud infrastructure troubles. Yeah. And it, 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 the context, of course, is is this Google deal, which they which they put as a a sign of failure, which I'm inclined to to agree with. I mean that you know it, conveniently enough, news was leaked at the same time that Apple uh, signed up the Google deal. That Apple's internal deal, internal cloud infrastructure, is coming along nicely, and so this is only a temporary thing. But if it's only a temporary thing, why wouldn't you just stick with AWS for you know? A, a, a couple extra years, right? Right. You don't, you don't, there's a lot of work involved in, in shifting stuff over. And yes, I'm sure Google gave them a, well, everyone is talking, Google gave them a very, very good deal. And apparently Amazon had given them a deal too, as in Amazon lost money on Apple for, for, for many years. Um, but you don't go through that trouble just for a couple of years, right? Like there's, there's something to this that certainly suggests that uh, Apple will not be running their, just, just, the, just before getting into the details of the article, just the entire circumstances suggest that Apple's nowhere close to running their own no, cloud infrastructure. I, I think that's a perfectly fair characterization. I mean, it, yeah, they, they, they're getting a discount already. They're going through the going to the effort and the risk of switching vendors. I, it, I mean, even if it's a hell of a deal, if it's if it's something that was uh, pending, you wouldn't switch to another vendor only to switch to your own services. I think that's a completely fair characterization. So there, there's a lots of interesting things in here. So one interesting thing was that uh, one of the reasons they're like it's not just a move from AWS, but it's also they're at capacity with Azure. And basically, Microsoft's like Microsoft's like 
you guys want so like we'll build a new data center for you, but you have to help pay for it. And, and Apple Apple turned them down. And and which from one perspective, well, yeah, I can I can get that. On the other perspective, like I actually uh, a year and a half ago in kind of my first probably primary attempt on trajectory to try to get at what we talked about last week, this cultural, like Apple's problem with the cloud is cultural and that it's not a, and when I say, when you say something, a problem with a company is cultural, it's tempting to hear that and think that's a bad thing. This is not a, this is not a bad thing. It, 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 the fact that Apple's culture is driven and organized and, and incentivizes the company to build great finished products is yeah. a wonderful thing, right? That's what the company is so good at, and we'll get to that, you know, in, in a little bit. It's just the other side of the coin, right? The the strengths determine the weaknesses. It's one of the themes that keeps coming up, right? Exactly, and it turns out, and and anyone who I think understands how this stuff works, it's pretty clear that the skills and processes that go towards building an effective set of services that are in the cloud are very different than the ones that go into building devices. Right. And, and like one is working towards a finish line and one is working towards a, a process, right. That, that, that is, that is self-correcting and iterative and is never perfect because it can never be perfect. Right. And this, this operating in, it's almost like the difference between like Newtonian physics and like, or, or, no, this is not the. Or, yeah, careful! The, oh, I know. <laughs> no, what's what's the what's the what's the uh, real life alternative to a quantum to quantum uh, physics? Uh, it's not Newton, whatever. But the the idea, like, there's there's like they're different states, right? And 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 the laws of one don't necessarily translate to the yeah. other. I'm gonna have to edit that out because I'm pretty sure I butchered it. But you, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes, I do. I absolutely do. Right. So, um, so th- that max shift point was interesting. So, oh, the reason I mentioned this, I wrote that article a year and a half ago. Actually, in that article, I suggested at the time that uh, like Apple should commit to Microsoft running their services because Microsoft was that's what like they're much better at these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. They have uh, the companies are aligned strategically; they're not competitive. Like it, it, it in the, so I actually pushed for that a while ago and it's kind of disappointing to see that they they turned out what I think actually makes a lot of sense which is Apple uses their cash to pay for it and lets people who are good at it and incentivized to it and have the right culture to do it run it mm. um but but they said no to that and now they're just kind of bouncing around whoever gives them the best deal and kind of trying to build their thing in in the background which which gets to your anecdote uh which is uh well you know, Apple is struggling to build this stuff. And we just talked about another company that just right. did some pretty impressive building of their own. Right. I mean, that's the thing. As you as you read this article, uh, we'll link to it in the show notes. It's behind a it's behind a paywall. But if you if you guys are um, subscribers to the information or you can get access to it, I highly recommend it. But as you read through this article, it's yeah, just and a- I'll, I'll put a share link that I think lets you read it in the notes. I think it might expire. So but so if you're reading this, you know, jump to the show notes and we'll see we'll see if the link works or not. Sweet. Um it's just like problem after problem and you look back and it's been problem after problem with cloud for some time. And you're right, uh, you did foreshadow an anecdote, which I should have talked about last week when we were talking about Dropbox and Apple. Well, actually, before I say that, I, as I was reading it, I couldn't help but think 
um, about what we were talking about last week, which is all these issues that they're describing would be solved perfectly by an acquisition of Dropbox. Like buying cloud stuff, uh, like uh, building cloud stuff versus buying Dropbox, which has just gone to the effort that we talked about last week of re-engineering all the back end of AWS when really they should be focused on their business model. It just makes such perfect sense. Well, well, there's a few things going on here. So one, I mean, the, 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 the recurring theme in here is Apple has trouble scaling. Like they, they right. get projects and they just can't scale up to Apple's needs. And that's a valid concern. Uh, it's not – the article frames it as a debilitating concern, which it's not because we already know that three companies operate at this scale. So it right. can be – the issue – yes, it, no, no question it's a hard problem. But it's not an impossible problem for one. Two, it's fair to ask, you know – even Dropbox being a storage provider, do they have as much data as Apple and, and iCloud and, and iTunes, all that sort of stuff? They might not. And so it's not for sure they can scale but it, it, to Apple's needs. That said, you know the fact that they've accomplished what they have, as, as we mentioned, what, App, what Dropbox has done is very impressive technically. Yeah. Like the, the, the entire issue and concern is just about their business as a whole, not about their ability to pull this off. Right, and that—that's what the—that's why it's—it feels like such a perfect mix because w- one of these companies has the perfect business model with the hardware. This other company has this perfect execution ability around uh, building complicated cloud software for consumers. That's really quite delightful, but hasn't really got a great business model for it. And it seems like such a perfect fit. And the anecdote I was referring to was back in two thousand and nine, before I when uh, before I interned for Apple, I actually applied to two teams. I applied for the retail team, which I ended up working for, but I ended up also applying for the uh, product marketing team to work um, on iCloud or mobile me as it was back then. And they make you do a presentation like what you'd focus on, what you think. And, you know, like a lot of Apple folks or Apple users, I was a pretty heavy mobile me user. And I was, I, I, I had no end of frustration with the thing. And I, before this presentation, I was diligently doing my research on all the alternatives. And in this presentation, I just made, I just like, guys, you, you've had this for so long. I've been a customer since it started. I got one of the very first email addresses that I still refuse to give up for and go to Gmail on. So I know what it's like as a customer. It's been terrible. You've been plagued with problems. There's this fantastic little company over here called Dropbox, just a startup, does beautiful software. I've used it. It's It, it, it just works, integrates beautifully. Why don't you guys just buy it? And I was, you know, I was... MBA in between my first and second years when I suggested this. And I remember being a little disconcerted by the look on uh, the product manager's face as I said this. And I was like, oh dear, I I wonder if, if I've trod on some toes or something. And it wasn't until a few years later when the whole Steve Jobs thing came out that it appro- approached Drew Houston and and said, you know, we want to buy you. And then when that got turned down, he's like, you guys are a feature, not a product that I realized that I'm, that, that was actually something that might've been happening in the background at the time. Yeah. I think the timing was, 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 uh, was about right. Um, there's one, there, uh, so James, James Allworth, uh, 
<laughs> it was a, Steve Jobs' advisor. Do you Dave, know what's – it's funny. I still get nervous about talking about my time. I mean, that, that wasn't something that I learned about on the job or anything. I still get nervous talking about my time there. They drill you so hard. Don't talk about anything. Don't talk about anything. I'm very, very respectful of all that stuff and everything I learned I won't talk about. But I just bucketed it into that category before – realizing after the show when we were talking about it, it's like hang on that was an interview i'm allowed to talk about what i suggested <laughs> for preparation for an interview surely there's this there's a couple there's one line here that kind of got to me though and it's apple then hired several stanford doctors to come up with its own solution for data storage and the software to run it da, 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 da. Mm. They hired – they have written their own version of NetApp, but that works at scale, a person familiar with the matter said. They hired PhDs that are talking quantum entanglement for storage. Like – so we – with the caveat that this is an anecdote and may not be representative, this line like is, is like a caricature of yeah. what you would expect Apple to approach called storage and why it's such a problem. I mean – like the when you if you you don't talk about quantum entanglement and talk about building at scale at the same time the, the the more you build at scale the more simple and proven and hardened your architecture needs to be not like not like cutting edge breaking ground like it, it this this is so like again it, it's almost like an anecdote that's too good to be true so i'm hesitant to like to to anchor on it too much but like the, this that's how you like there's the famous story about Apple making the iPhone five and they wanted to make these chamfered edges and there was one machine, they had a testing machine or like a prototype machine that could do it, but they couldn't figure out, they couldn't find a machine that could do it at scale. So basically Apple bought like tens of thousands of this prototyping machine and put them on the assembly line at ridiculous cost because, you know, and this is like a famous anecdote that people use to describe how committed and dedicated Apple is to their products being beautiful and perfect because they wanted it to be beautiful and perfect to the way it was envisioned. And they weren't going to let, you know, traditional restraints like, like, uh, having to operate at scale and all sort of stuff stopped them. They were, they were so committed and, and everyone's like clapped their hands like, oh, it's wonderful. What a great company. And it is. It is wonderful. It is a great company. It's why everyone loves their iPhones. You don't do that when you're building a freaking cloud. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I completely, I mean, it's it's like to say that, that, that there are these three companies out there that have been doing this for, uh, that have been doing this for years. And by doing this, they've built billion dollar businesses around this. And you can just come along, hire a couple of Stanford PhDs and bang, you've, you've caught, like you've solved the core problem. It, it, I, well, it's, I, not, it's, not, it's not just that, it's that they're talking about like, like, yeah, the, the, like there's not. Yes, Apple has unbelievable scale that need that 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 they need to figure out how to solve. Um, it, interesting. About my conclusion, I actually think I had it right. To be honest, back in, uh, I, I could see that. The, I mean, the Dropbox thing would be higher risk because, again, we, I'm not sure how big Dropbox's cloud is. Um, would Apple be able to build build out to Apple scale? I, I think again, operated as an independent subsidiary, they'd have a better chance. I'd be concerned about, you know, just. Apple's culture is so strong. Would would Dropbox be able to, to retain its character to operate Apple's cloud services? Would Apple, you know, allow them? I, I'm still kind of like the idea of Apple just letting one of the big guys do it, frankly, because um, and again, it's not it's not a criticism to say that every conversation we have praising the strength and power of Apple's commitment to design and devices 
like it's the same thing. Like you, you, and you can't have your cake and eat it too. You, you can't mm. be a company that is good at everything, particularly if two things are totally opposite to each other. Like you're going to be a bit of a muddled, a, yeah. a bit of a muddled mess. Like, like frankly, Microsoft was for for many years yeah. because they were trying to do they were trying to do everything. And a lot of what Microsoft's doing better now, the reason they can operate these cloud centers in a way that satisfies Apple's needs, is because they themselves are focusing more and more. And like you just can't overestimate the returns from focus. No, I, I I absolutely agree on the Microsoft stuff. Like the that you can't be horizontal and vertical at the same time. Um, and I mean, I, I, I it's it's not that I disagree with your statement about give it to one of the big guys and let them do it. I um, maybe it's because uh, yeah, I, I'm I still just love the Dropbox thing. Leave them separate. Like they just make delightful products. That I. I you're right. It is a higher risk thing, but I also think it could be a higher return thing. And the fact that they're able to engineer their own solution that for their needs works better than what um, than what AWS does just suggests that they have the, the tech know how to do it in-house. Leave it separate and just, you know, point the services there as if it's a third company and uh, like – I mean, I just wish all of Apple's services were running on Dropbox. I know. Well, here's, here, I mean, here's the thing. To me, um, so from from a product execution standpoint, to me, the lowest risk solution is just uh, is the lowest risk solution is is building a long term relationship with one partner. And I think Microsoft is the best bet. They they don't really compete with Apple anymore. They're natural partners. Hmm. Uh, like that's I think so. I think the lowest risk solution for Apple yes. would be to partner with Microsoft for the long term. Like Microsoft on the cloud and, and, and do that. Yeah. yeah uh, th- agree. The, the, um, the, and this bouncing around between cloud providers, seeing who will cut you the best deal. Like, yeah, uh, like it, it, it really bothers me. Like at the end of the day, like, I mean, everyone points to that 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 Tim Cook, where you know you we need to own and control the primary technologies mm. behind the products that we make. And I was like, oh, that's why Apple's you know building their own stuff and and all. And I I, I like Buy things Dropbox. like no, it's just okay. But, but the problem with with beautiful quotes like that, sorry, is is <laughs> no is is they're they're right until they're wrong. Right. And you can get caught up in the literal words of something like that. And this is why this is why this is a dang, this is something that always made me uncomfortable about the very existence of Apple University, even when I was there. Uh. And it was this idea of, you know, the idea was to capture what made Apple Apple. The problem is when you capture something, when you write it down, that's a static interpretation. And the and the danger is that that ossifies and becomes yeah. a set of rules when in reality a truly great organization and what made apple unique is a sense is a certain dynamism and 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 it's a it's an ability that's a bit ethereal and it's hard to write down but to change the the manifestation of your culture to the context in which you are operating as a company. And so at a time when it makes sense to be a music company, an iPad company, you change. When you're an iPhone company, you change. And this is frankly something that I'm concerned about Apple. I've written about the, the music thing last year. Like it made sense for Apple to be a music company in, 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 in the 2000s and, and it lifted the company up. And 
but there's the, the context mattered. The context was Apple was a small player, so the labels weren't worried about them. The context was there was massive piracy going on, so the labels had there was a countervailing force. You fast forward to to now, and Apple's this behemoth that can't understand why everyone will just give them what they want. The labels streaming killed piracy because no one wants to deal with files anymore. The this this the circumstances are very different, and Apple when Apple Tim Cook comes up and says, we're a music company. Music's in our DNA. It's like, well, is it? That's completely fair. I, I completely grant you that point. And I, I like the, the reason for music as you articulated and, and one other that, that no one else was going to do it and consumers wanted it, didn't want to deal with uh, all the hassle of using different services and integrating iTunes with the iPod with the music store just made so much sense and it showed people how it's done. And now you don't need that anymore. The streaming services... The streaming services are all unprofitable, or uh, like it's 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 they're terrible businesses. Yeah, yeah, they're componentized. You've got competition. Music's freely available. Just let it go. Like I, I completely grant you that, but I still think that there is something to the Cook quote about owning con- and controlling core technologies. And I, I don't know. Again, maybe I'm just in love with the idea. And I, like we said last week. I always get nervous when people just suggest these very uh, easy, simple, seemingly elegant solutions. But as a consumer, I'm using Dropbox for all the things Apple wants me to use iCloud for. I would just love it if they dropped all the iCloud stuff and just integrated this thing in that I'm paying for right now because it's just better and and did that instead. And then focused the, the core on what they do better and just leave Dropbox this separate thing to continue making these beautiful, delightful services. You just said it yourself. Like that 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 is the aspect of of that that makes Apple Apple in my estimation. The the point of owning and controlling the primary technology is so you can deliver a superior user experience. And at what point is Apple's insistence on owning the primary technology interfering with the goal of delivering a superior user experience? That's the question that I have about this sort of stuff. And frankly, uh, the thing with the whole point of the cloud is we talked about with with Amazon, like the power comes from scale, and and the the actual products being sold. Yes, there is an there. Amazon and Microsoft and Google all want to go, you know, kind of up market over time. Like mm. infrastructure as a service is is like Amazon's lowered the price like forty four times since mm. they started or whatever. And it's again the way you make money is by having superior scale, right? So you mm. just have a superior cost position. And, and that's a totally valid way to compete, by the way. People don't talk about it as much because it's really hard to do. And it and people don't appreciate that actually low prices can be a sustainable strategy. You just have to be architected from the ground up to do it. Yeah. Uh, so so but the the point of that, and they want to lever up to like, you know, platform as a service and you know, software as a service going on up the stack. Um, but the 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 whole point though is they're offering a generic technology, right? The whole reason Mike Apple can hop around is because it's it, at the end of the day, like there's a certain level of genericism to what is on offer. And I would actually, I think it's fair, or at least uh, you can make an argument that actually running servers is no different than actually putting a phone together. And Apple doesn't own that. Like they have no, Foxconn do that. 
I, I, I totally agree. I, I think, I, so I totally agree that it, the, the aim isn't necessarily owning the underlying servers. I, I totally agree. And I, I, I don't think that they need to own the servers. I don't think it's a big deal. Again, I, it's this relative experience versus other companies. And I think that's why I remain bullish on the Dropbox option, just to round out right. the argument. Yeah, that yeah, we, 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 we were there like 15 minutes ago. Yeah, lowest risk is, is partnering with one partner and just like right. building, building a service. I, it, you could argue they should have two so they can diversify whatever we I, I can accept that the the kind of middle option is is buying a company like Dropbox and setting up as a separate subsidiary and being like okay we've spent five ten years on this now we're no closer than we were before right um build us a and this the the challenge here is that like this isn't just about a subsidiary it's apple itself has to get into the mindset of having a foundational service with like what we talk about amazon's like primitives where companies build on top of that and they're not yeah. custom building every single freaking time right. um and that's going to require a, a a change in mindset uh, in apple itself as well but the highest risk in my estimation is the route that they're actually choosing which is we're gonna f- do it ourselves come hell or high water and like at what point like in the what's so nefarious about this is it seems like the least risky, but actually I think it's the highest risk because they're theoretically we should expect Apple to be bad at the cloud, and in practice they are bad at the cloud. So what, like, what's the definition of insanity? Like trying to do it, you know, <laughs> do it three times. Like they're up to like time number seven or eight now. Yeah. So. On that note, I okay, am going so- to transition us <laughs> onto your fantastic article this week. And I, I, I mean, your stuff is always pretty good. Um, I am going to call out this specific article um, uh, as being particularly good. And actually, all the updates this week have been really good. And for those folks listening, I know I've said this, gosh, it was way too many episodes again. If you are not subscribed to Ben's Stratechery, you should be because it's phenomenal. But this week's article about... Um, I, I see the check finally cleared. Thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Finally. <laughs> T- took 50 episodes. Um, about the iPhone SE does um, at least leave you with some, like, as much as we've just panned Apple for their cloud stuff, it gave me hope around um, the way that the company is thinking about their core offering, which is hardware in relation, like in terms of a business model and they're not falling into a trap. And you did a really cool job of weaving in what happened, the sad passing of Andy Grove. But I will not give away any more of that. I'll let you explain more. Well, uh, what I, 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 I do appreciate, appreciate those, those kind of words. Um, and it means a lot, a lot, you know, coming, coming from you in particular. Oh, well, but of course. <laughs> the um uh yeah so we spent a lot of, we we sorry we went a little overboard banging on apple here <laughs> but but you're right it's a uh like now this sets up what i think was a really momentous announcement for apple and and one of like almost like a seminal sort of announcement and and what was so important about it is actually I don't know if the SE will succeed. I I, I spent a post yesterday ex- arguing why I'm pretty bullish about it, mm. but I actually I, I actually was kind of annoyed when I mailed it out because I meant to have one more paragraph about like why it might not, and I forgot to include it. You, you forgot so I'll, to I'll hedge yourself. Well, yeah, I, I appreciate I, you taking a position. Well, yeah. Well, but the 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 reason why it was sem- so let's back up. So. For years, people have been banging on Apple to build a low-cost phone, and Apple mm-hmm. has resisted, and rightly so, in my opinion. Uh, and where this really was a big, uh, a 
big topic of debate in particular was uh, – a few years ago, 2013, the the iPhone 5, the one we talked about before with the chamfered edges. And by the way, th- that thing they did with doing all the prototype machines was actually, um, by all accounts, I- I'm not sure if it was that specifically, but I-, I have heard from multiple sources that the iPhone 5 was a manufacturing mess. Like they had, it, it was very difficult to manufacture. They had tons of problems. They had like just, and a big reason for the 5C to exist, the like multicolored, phone mm. was simply because they they couldn't afford to make the five for two more years mm. like it, it was just it was it was just they had too many problems manufacturing it and it, i don't know if that was tied to buying those machines but it's it's interesting that the timing does line up anyhow so when the five before it came out though the the assumption was like well is apple finally going going in, into the low market and you know they, they need growth they need you know the high end saturated sort of sort of stuff and uh, an ongoing th- and at that time too this was apple stock i think was still relatively low i think i've mentioned before in the podcast or another podcast 2013 was a great time for me to watch the blog because it was at that time the whole narrative about samsung being ascendant and apple being doomed was kind of all over the place so I got like a whole bunch of articles saying like how ridiculous this is. Like actually Samsung's the one that is the one that is screwed and Apple mm. is, will be totally fine, which, uh, you know, turned out to be very prescient. Um, but again, in my estimation, it, that wasn't a particularly difficult, difficult call. Um, so anyhow, this is the context for all this debate going on. They have to go to market, go to market. And, uh, and the reality is Apple still had a lot of unpicked fruit to, 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 <laughs> to the narrow. Uh, my turn to go. <laughs> uh, so, so, like for example, uh, they at that point they were not yet on NTT Docomo in China, in Japan. <clears throat> uh-huh. I think they had just gotten on Verizon uh, in, in the U.S. or maybe been, been a couple years on Verizon at that point. Um, they were not yet on China Mobile uh, right. in in China. Uh, they were still shipping small screen phones when it was increasingly obvious that customers wanted big screen phones. Uh, they were not really present in India at all. Like there, the like there was a lot of ways for Apple. St- Apple was still constrained by their addressable market. If that makes sense, like yeah. th- there was ways for them to expand their market that had nothing to do with them changing the product or not targeting the, the high end. And so when the iPhone five C came out and it slotted right into where the iPhone five would have been, it was a new phone, but it was clearly an unchanged strategy. It was still mm-hmm. 650 for the high end, 550 for last year's components, 450 for two year two years components. And clearly it was the it was the right move. I mean, the the as we've talked about, the iPhone continued to grow, uh is grew spectacularly with the iPhone six. Not, didn't grow this year, but again, like we talked about a couple of episodes ago, if you actually sketch out the expected growth, uh they're still doing, you know, they're they're they're, they're still doing fine. Mm. However, a lot – and actually at that time, people were going nuts. Like Apple's going to get disrupted, blah, 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 blah. And that's when I wrote the the article that brought us together, which is uh, you know, what I argued what, what, what Professor Christensen got wrong about Apple in not understanding that there was a sustainable high end, that they weren't going to be – they weren't going to be disrupted by a good enough low end. Mm. So that's a lot of context for 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 what was happening here. Uh, the difference today's market is very different. Today's market, all that low hanging fruit that I talked about has all been picked. Uh, Apple's in China; they're in China Mobile. They're growing; it will continue to grow, especially as China's middle, you know, as this emerging middle class. Even though China's economy is slowing, there's still this the, the scales mammoth. Like they, they're still growing there. They're on all the networks in Japan. They're on all the networks in in, in most in mo- mostly all over the world. They've had large screen iPhones, like. All the easy stuff 
quote unquote easy stuff has been done, right? And it's fair to ask. And again, my argument in that Quite Christian article was never about my whole argument was that Apple's not going anywhere. They're not going to lose share, right? And I think that's been borne out. Like Apple's hold on the high end is is stronger than it ever has been. And no one's going to come in and take customers away from Apple. The question though is is there a point at which Apple will stop acquiring new customers simply because everyone who is in a position financially to buy an iPhone has bought an iPhone? Right. And I think that's a very fair question to ask. Right. And that's always been the fair question to ask about the iPhone is when is it going to like saturate its it, saturate its niche? To be fair, and I I I was I was expecting that to happen a lot sooner than it did. And to uh, I, I put myself in in the the group of people that thought it would be happening around 2013, 2014. It was just like I've got this this five uh, S. Like, how are they going to improve this damn thing? Sure, the battery life, but like, what else could they do? And the screen yeah, the, the is the one of thing- those. The big thing most people think is China. Like people, I, I think, right. like, particularly in the West, didn't understand how large the China market was. And this is—I uh. was banging my drum on this like way back then. I'm like, oh, it was like the the, the way people like when the iPhone 5C came out. There was this tweet that was tweeted like thousands and thousands of times, basically saying that was how the 5C cost as much as the average Chinese person's salary or something, mm. and like mocking Apple for how stupid they were. And that was that that was such a fundamental misunderstanding of China because China. One, it's it's huge, 1.3 billion people. Two, it has massive inequality. Like mm-hmm. the Gini coefficient is like 0.49, which is really high. And the implication of that is there's a lot of rich people, right? <laughs> right? Like like there's more rich people in China than there are like people in the U.S. Like I mean, that, that might be that might not be exactly right. But the point it is, is like the market is massive for a high end phone that has. Tremendous status, status and right. yeah, no, particularly totally in a comp- in a country that's super obsessed with it, like China is. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, I totally agree. It's interesting because from from the perspective of what happened with Samsung, I f- I feel like Apple, uh, uh, Samsung managed to um, Samsung managed to have a period where it did very well. Uh, with high-end phones that Apple should have captured faster. Um, I think in retrospect, that's how I think about that. Samsung had an edge by providing, supplying components to Apple and it got insight into a whole bunch of things and it built a whole series of capabilities and moved up. And Apple should have moved up faster to build those bigger phones that people were after. Um, I think that your point, though, about them effectively, just because they didn't have differentiation in the software, they end up getting commoditized and Apple eventually increased the bigger phone. And now Apple's still doing great. Yeah, Samsung had two advantages. I uh, sorry, I took advantage of your swallowing to jump in. But, no, no, no. <laughs> they, for you. So there's two things that 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 Samsung had. One, Samsung was on every network in every country. Like, right. the, so the the, the available and Apple was very deliberate about you know like they only mm. went on a carrier if the carrier bent to Apple's terms, terms right? Yeah. right it was, it was, Verizon is a great example. NTT Docomo in Japan is a great example where Apple went in with a second place carrier and leveraged their their dominance of customers where customers were switching. Like NTT Docomo was getting hammered for years because everyone was switching to SoftBank uh, and just bleeding. And so they had to give in to Apple's terms. And Apple has these very strict terms, right? They enforce, like how many, they, they have a quota. Apple gets a certain amount of marketing dollars. Like there's all this stuff that Apple doesn't just give you an iPhone. Where, whereas Samsung's like, you want a cell phone? Here's here's a phone. 
Right. You can't so, fidget. You can't fidget with this software. It was such a smart strategy. Right. Exactly. Whereas Samsung, player. Samsung's like, yeah, you can do whatever you want uh, and uh, sell it what you will and. And yeah, put your put your software on it, and all these, and so you had all these these carriers like NT Docomo, China Mobile, who were pushing Samsung because they had to have an high end phone, and and they didn't have an iPhone. So a big reason for Samsung's success was Samsung had all these relationships with the carriers, and they were willing to work with the carriers to build. Like the most famous example is Verizon with the whole Droid thing, right? Um, they were willing to work with the carriers to build out and that was actually Motorola, but it's the same idea. Like work with the carriers to build out an iPhone competitor. The problem is once the carriers like it, it helped to an extent, but when they lost enough customers and finally Apple got on board, then Samsung got dropped like a hot hot potato. <laughs> and so that was the biggest factor in Samsung getting hammered. Right. And then the the one product thing Samsung had was big screens. And then once the big screens came out, like they were just they were screwed. Yeah, I mean that that that's right. Like the both neither of those advantages was sustainable. Um yeah. It's right, and, how it, it works out. and so it works on both sides, right? That was a reason to doubt Samsung, and it was a reason why I was super bearish on them. Like one of my, again, it was one of my one of my one of my very first posts. Um, and but it was also a reason to be bullish on Apple. But the the, the point of the matter is that's all in the past now. Mm. Agreed. And China's been well, it's not quite saturated, but it's getting close to saturated. Yeah, it, it's it, there's still quite a ways to go. I mean, th- this emerging upper middle class is is so massive. Um, yeah, and. And uh, and so, but but all that said, like the the whole point is like it, it it's getting it's getting harder. Um, They're so, reaching further up the tree to continue your analogy. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so the the question then the question has been, and it's been for a very long time. What's been amazing about the iPhone, just absolutely incredible, is it's this product that has grown massively. And not only has it grown in volume, but it's grown in average selling price. Like the average selling price of an iPhone now is higher than it was mm. ever, ever before. And, and part of this, you know, big part of that is the plus. But the whole point is Apple has not only maintained their position, but they've grown it mm. even as they've grown their average selling price and maintained margins of like 50%, gross margins of like over 50% on the iPhone. It's incredible, or around 50%. It's, in, it's incredible. Like this yeah. is why this is the greatest like product from a business perspective in the history of ever. Yeah, it's not how it normally happens, right? <laughs> right. And so so the the question though, the question has been it's been for a long time especially cuz Apple just resolutely didn't go down market. The 5C turned out was not a down market phone. It was just slotting a slotting it in phone. Would Apple ever give up that average selling price? Would they ever trade away margin uh to for volume to grow. And the answer has been no, it's been no, it's been no, it's been no. And for the first time, it seems like the answer is yes. And that's that's a really that's a really big deal. The SE is not slotting into the old strategy. The SE is a 6S for all intents and purposes. It has the same components mostly. It has the same system on a chip. It has the same back camera. It it like and it has it's it's a very high-end phone. And not only does it not cost 450 like the 5s it replaces does it costs 400 like they act, yeah. they it was not just that they replaced the low-end phone with high-end components they cut the price too and and again leaving aside whether it succeeds or not the fact it even exists is a really big deal i 
I was actually shocked and I was pleasantly shocked because it is so hard inside uh, typically when uh, when companies make decisions like this they focus on they focus on the margins and the uh, the ASPs rather than thinking about growing the pie and it was it's and this is this was what I thought was so brilliant about your piece uh, during the week and linking it to Andy Grove and his stuff with Celeron and disruption and his and the 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 fight against AMD is that it's so rare for this to happen, but it is such a smart thing to do. Right, and, and um, uh, so what's interesting is yeah, so I linked it to Andy Grove and the Celeron, and, and this it wasn't a perfect comparison because the Celeron was a basically a crippled Pentium two processor in the, and so it was a worse product. Whereas right. my whole point about the iPhone SE is it's it's it's, it's a great better. product, right? Or, right, it's not better, but it's the same with just a smaller screen, effectively. Right, exactly. But 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 the the fact it was the point that. It was. It, it is a. Both are products that have the strong potential to cannibalize the the more expensive products, right. and and that that's hard. It's a that's a hard thing to do. And and both companies and both companies now have done it. This is like this strikes at the heart of the dilemma, right? This refusal to cannibalize margins, and it leads you to move up market and leaves you more and more space in the down market for someone to form. Now, um, it's just so hard to move away from thinking about margins, and this is what this is what. Um, yeah, again, this is why I thought as much as as much as we're panning them for their work in the cloud, at least around the core stuff, they are committed to this idea of like if someone's going to cannibalize you, you, it might as well be yourself. Now, in most of the instances where Apple has done this in the past, yeah, there's been a risk of cannibalization, but typically the risk of cannibalization has been from a new product that has higher margins than the product that risks cannibalization, like um, the iPhone to the iPhone iPod or um, uh, the the iPad to um, the low end uh, uh, the low end portables. This is an instance inside the same product line where I'm going to go out. Well, it's it's just like the 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 margins are going to be worse than the thing that they're cannibalizing, and it just happens so rarely, and it's a super big deal. And I just think it's super cool that they're thinking about it this way. Right. Exactly. I mean, it, it, it's a. Uh that that's ex- that's exactly it, and the reason it's interesting um, is uh, uh, so Andy Grove actually one of the reasons that we see claims that he did the Celeron was he he actually talked to your you know your co-author and and and, and mentor, mentor yeah, yeah uh, Professor Christensen, and this was actually before the book came out, before the Innovators Dilemma came out. Uh, I think maybe the article the HB yeah, HB I think that's called. how he found out about it. Okay. Um, but yeah, he invited Professor Christian to come out and talk to them. And basically he explained, you know, the, the famous, the famous one is the, the rebar story, like the, the right. mini mill ones where the, yeah, these mini mills, steel mills that, that created rebar, which was a super low margin, you know, product that the big steel mills were happy to give away because who wants to create that crap? But the mini mills then made all the, all the, all the crap stuff and then moved up market and ate their lunch. Right. Right. And, and that was, that was Intel's calling cry was the Celeron was rebar. And like, we're not going to let ABM make rebar or AMD make rebar. We're going to make it, even if it means hurting, you know, cutting into our high end. 
Right. And when, when you think about it from a financial perspective, the, the US steel, which was the incumbent, wouldn't create um, new capacity. So, so the, the mini mills had been created, uh, new assumptions, um, they, uh, the, they were cheaper to produce the rebar. Uh, US steel, uh, people would come, uh, executives inside US steel would come to the, the management and say, look, we need to uh, invest in these mini mills to, uh, in order to compete with rebar. And it would get to the CFO and the CFO would say, hang on, we have existing capacity. Let's just use the existing capacity to build the rebar. The problem is the existing capacity had a much higher cost structure. And so it would inevitably fail to get started. And what 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 is underlying this this thinking is the notion that you don't think about it through um, the lens purely of financials and taking advantage of existing capacity. You think about it. Okay, this is the the process by which disruption starts. And you imagine you don't think about it from your existing position. You think about it from a blank slate. And when you do that, suddenly the decision to invest makes much more sense. Now, again, the analysis isn't perfect with the creation and the investment, but it's it's that thinking that, that caused Grove and Intel to decide to go down market to prevent AMD from coming up. And that's, again, the same thing that's so cool about the SE is that it's, it's an instance of a company cannibalizing itself with a lower margin product. And it's, again, it's with, with markets being what they are, it's just so hard for executives to do something like that because everything inside a company from a financial perspective is telling you not to do it. Right. So a big insight that, that Professor Christian had, I think, that, that drove disruption was, was the way that markets and thus executives had moved to measuring everything in ratios and percentages, right? right? And instead of absolute numbers. And, and this is a classic example of, of, of how that gets you trapped because uh, Apple is going to give away ratio. If the SE is a massive success, Apple's going to hurt their percentages and their ratios, right? But on Absolutely. an absolute basis, they're going to sell more iPhones, right? Oh, which, yeah. which, and so it's funny because if you, if you, if you suddenly like st- snap out of it, like snap out of financial thinking, and into like absolute number thinking, this actually isn't that hard of a decision, right? Because now you have a bigger base, your services can serve more customers. Like there's lots of things that good things about having a a big market. And so from some respect, it, it's not even um it's not that impressive, but but it is I it, mean, it, it I, is it it well, it is if you if you're in the traditional mindset. Well, it's sense. it's not it absolutely is a relation to the traditional mindset, but like you you like. You know, I'm inside a. It's a tech company, private tech company, and of course, people think about um, the financials, and eventually, the, the the plan is to IPO, right? Um, and whenever you go out and speak to analysts about this kind of thing, what will happen is that they will they will look at your ratios because the ratios allow you to compare between the comps. And so everything from the public markets is telling you like focus on focus on the ratios, focus on these things like the absolutes are nice, but I want to see how you compare. And Professor Christensen has this wonderful anecdote and I think it's I think it's from the I I could be getting this wrong. I think it was from the president of one of the Taiwanese semiconductor companies and he he, he was meeting with Clay and he's like, "Clay, you know, 
you Westerners, you're funny people. You and your companies, you measure profitability in ratios. Do you know how we we measure profitability? We measure profitability in truckloads of cash. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just so perfectly articulates it. Like you get lost in the weeds of these financials and they, particularly the ratios, they end up causing you to make the wrong decisions. Oh, it's funny. I mean, this thinking infiltrates everything. A point I've made back in the day when everyone's like apple's doomed and a big thing was like oh because the market market share like you know the, the, you're going to be like windows it's going to be over all the developers going to move to the big platform and my whole argument then if you'll remember was okay s- stop looking at percentages look at the absolute numbers at that time there's like there's 400 million iPhones out there developers aren't going anywhere right like it doesn't matter if that's 30% share or 10% share or 15% share like the absolute number is so big that there can be two viable platforms here. And again, it's funny, 2016, this was actually a controversial point three years ago. Um, but but it, it, you see this again and again where you get hung up on percentages. And the percentages are useful sometimes or ratios, same sort of thing. But sometimes you just need to look at the actual number. Oh, totally. I, I think that was partly a function of the previous paradigm where, um, A, the internet wasn't around to help with distribution. So actually getting distribution of software, people wanted to go to the store and buy software. And you could, like, if, if I was in a market like Australia and Windows had 95%, like what retailer was going to carry Mac software and develop, like, and, and we're talking much smaller absolute numbers. So the relative percentages matter. But A, the number of phones, as as a result of them, uh, uh, just the nature of phones and the absolute number going up so much, so so much greater. And also the distribution of the internet means that you don't need to worry about percentages anymore because a a 5% of the world's population is still a goddamn huge number right uh, it's, uh, it's 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 a great point i mean i mean this is the whole the whole point of my business right i'm not looking to get a percentage of the internet i'm looking i'm, I'm looking at absolute numbers can i get x right. number and right. yeah and it's a di- it's a different way of thinking in in a in it's kind of like the zero thing in reverse like yes the market isn't infinite but compared to before it's effectively infinite You know, and like that change, like it's another, like that changes things when you're dealing with infinite, like you, you, you got, there, there is no ratio that makes sense. I mean, that's, that's an extreme example, but I think your point about the internet is, is very well made. Um, the other thing I would say about this phone is what's important. There's a lot of people characterize this phone as being kind of Apple's going after the mid market or something. There is no mid market. There hasn't been a mid market in phones in, in years, right? Mm -hmm. There is the high end and there is the low end. This is. This is extending the low end and making it more accessible. And extending and, the high end, don't you mean? Yes, thank you. Extending the high end. And this, I think I've, I either said this in a daily update or on a podcast before. Like one of my favorite posts that got no traction uh, is. Uh, it's always the way. I know, I know. Uh, I've had a couple of those. Like, like oh, yeah, I nailed it. And then, like, no. Usually they're Nothing the ones that, crickets. like, I know. Um, it was uh, the end of trickle down technology, and it was talking about crossing the chasm, and and the whole uh, this crossing the chasm idea. There being technical visionaries on on one side, and then the pragmatists and the conservatives, and the 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 and the idea that you can charge way up more up front because people will pay performance, and then at the end people don't care, and you have to lower your prices, and like all this all this sort of stuff. And to me, it was. Like it, it's still a useful framework, but it didn't really explain what was happening in phones in particular. And the yeah. reason was uh, one: uh, phones are so important, and conservatives are so uh, wary of technology in general that actually, and again, this is because it's a consumer market, not a business market. Like there, 
a company can charge a high price and focus on the user experience and having things like Apple Store, that sort of stuff, and actually do much better in conservatives than than what would be predicted in, in the book. That was one. And that, and I think the SE, they're still very price sensitive. And I think the SE will have an impact there. Like people who who would like an iPhone and they, they like the idea of going to an Apple Store, but they just couldn't commit to paying that much. And I mm. think that will have an impact there. But I think the more interesting point is is for a long time, the way people treated developing markets was they would start with the high-end stuff in like the West and then basically be hand-me-down technology once it got cheap enough for, for people people there, right? But you have folks in like India, for example. India is a very technically literate uh, society generally. Uh, mm. You know, the, the, the ratio of people who know and read about and understand this stuff is very high, mm. uh, especially among English speakers. And – they it, it's a it's a market that traditionally cares a lot about things like specs uh, and mm. and knows a lot about what processors in it and in uh, the performance and all these sorts of things, and, but it's just there's not it, it's a it's a poor country. I mean, especially relative to China, like people compare India and China. Uh, China's GDP mm. is like four or five times that of India, and not only that, but India actually has much less inequality. It's like point three on the Gini. Gini coefficient, um, and so the implic- there's actually fewer people who can afford an iPhone by a lot, and it's not and and I th- really think that um, I mentioned the low hanging fruit or the markets that Apple hasn't yet addressed. I think you know, India is clearly kind of the last really big market where Apple doesn't have uh, a, a very strong position, and and I think delivering this phone. That yes, it's priced at thirty nine thousand or whatever, but that the actual mar- price that phones are sold sold at is way lower than the list price in India in particular, um, mm-hmm. and so that's not going to be the price it sells at. It's going to sell at, at at less than thirty thousand. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, if you if you basically if you go, um, what's the name of the India currency? Um, it's rupees, RS. Right? Yeah, it, yeah, rupees. Thank you. Uh, it, basically, everyone's like, oh, thirty nine thousand rupees. Why why won't you just buy a six S that you can buy for forty one thousand rupees? Well, the 6S is listed at 62,000 rupees. But the the reality of the India retail market, which is very fragmented and distributed, is like these prices get uh, cut way down. Uh, mm. it, basically, there's no margin in them anywhere uh, f- except for the manufacturer. And it, basically, if a 6S can be bought in India for 42,000 and it's listed for 62,000, what does that mean for a phone that's listed at 39,000? Like it's going to be available for like 27,000 rupees in like a month or two. Right. right, and so that's the price to think about, and 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 you have a phone that has the best possible specs, and it's it looks like a five. You can't. It's super important that it looks like an iPhone five, because I think one of the lessons that was learned about the the five C is the five C was never a real iPhone. It was immediately obvious that you bought a second rate iPhone that was never right. top of the line. Right. You buy this. You go to China. I was just in China last week. There's still tons of five and five S's around, mm. and people would rather have a five or five S because you have an iPhone than they would a top of the line Xiaomi or something like that. Even if the performance is better, because it matters that you, you like in that iPhone, maybe you just bought that and it's three years old, or maybe you bought it and was top of the line. You've had all along. Doesn't matter. You 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 have an iPhone, and the five C never filled that role because it was it was always it was always not the best. You know what right. I mean? It never had a time being the best. And so it's super important that it looks like it looks like a five, in my opinion. The thing I didn't write about in my update that I meant to was it is, mm. that screen's really small. Like, and you're especially- it was normal for so long. That's what's crazy I know, but in, in the developing world where, in the developing world where it's your only computer, like having a big screen is even more important, arguably. Mm. So mm. that, 
like, and that's, and again, I don't fault Apple for it. I mean, if they watched a big screen phone for 400, I mean, they're really cannibalizing their business. And, and maybe you could argue they should do that. I don't think they need to do that yet, but I think they can see how this plays out, but Mm. that, that would be a reason it might not succeed. But, but anyhow. I, I walked into an Apple store after the announcement, wondering whether they might have the SE on display. And I picked up a six and I was like, not not the six plus, just the regular six. And I was like, oh, this is, tiny. is this the SE? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's funny, funny I, how quickly you adjust. I know, I know. So I, I actually pulled out a 5S yesterday um, to, to, just to play with it. And yeah, it's, it's small. Um, so we'll see. That's for sure. I mean, and so... You, you still have the Samsung will sell you and Xiaomi will sell you and it will and 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 Max uh, Mini Max or what's uh, name escaped me um, will sell you a very nice and capable phone for twenty thousand rupees that has a big screen and can Apple with a you know a small phone but with top of the line specs uh, sell yeah, it, you for twenty seven thousand I don't I don't know but I, I think they're going to sell more than people think. It's going to be very interesting to watch to see whether the right specs for the smaller phone and and Apple software because let's not discount that that the software on these devices. Well, I don't know. It's interesting because I feel like the the Indian market is more of the enthusiast PC. Market, right. Exactly, and, that, and that's why I think that's why I think it's interesting because well, they, they that that market in particular is aware that like there's stuff that comes on the iPhone first and like and like there's advantages. On the other hand. You know, it, Android's customization. That was right, the point exactly. I was going to like. Actually, people might prefer what. What in general, like if if we think about the average consumer, is probably an inferior experience to to an Indian and a highly educated Indian consumer who's really into this stuff. Maybe that's something they prefer. Just like there are plenty of um, people who love their phones who think that the Android provides a better experience. And if it works great for them, that's fantastic. I wonder whether there are more of those folks in India. So it will be really interesting to see how it goes but the argument that you've raised i think makes total total sense right and so i i think this is the india iphone like that's how i i i think about it um i know there's there's some people in, in tech like oh f- yes top of the line i always want a small phone uh those are not the target market i'm sorry um there's some people that are insisted it's people who that, that they are the target market. You're not. It's for, oh, and I the know reason, who it's the, for. They the, built it for Donald Trump with his small oh. hands. <laughs> the reason why you're not, the, the reason why, and the reason why I know for a fact that that uh, you're not the target market is because Apple would have priced it for more than $400. Because you, like people, there's already a demonstrated willingness to pay. And so Apple would have priced it at, at least $450 if their goal was just to get mm. people who already have iPhones to up, who prefer a smaller one. Like the fact it's priced at $400, that $50 sounds sounds small, but to me that's the most significant piece of news in, in this entire thing uh, is the top yeah. line specs and they cut the price. It's It's a big deal. I'm I I'm gonna watch this one with interest. I mean, I, I think from a product perspective, to a lot of folks, it's less interesting. But the way this plays out, um, or, or to a lot of folks who watch this space closely, it's less interesting. But the fact that, you, like what you just described, the fact that this is top of the line specs with a with a price that's lower than you would expect, it's going to be really interesting to see how this phone does. Right, and frankly, it might fail. I mean, I was way optimistic on the five C, and I was obviously very wrong about that. Um, um, uh, and so that might be the case. The SE, it might fail, but the fact it even exists to me, it, it is a big deal. And, yeah. and a, yes, a it will be a big int- deal. Right. It, exactly. And it's a positive sign and, and it's a good sign for Apple. It's a good sign. They're not, again, it comes back to the priority thing. Like at the end of the day, 
the point of the company is not to maintain margin, right? And it's mm-hmm. not to maintain an average selling price. It's to deliver a great experience and and any company has to grow and they and they have to and and this is a this is a good a positive thing. It's a good thing and it's easy to stand on the outside and say oh obviously that they should do this, but as countless companies have demonstrated it's a lot harder than it looks. Yeah. Uh, Andy Grove got oh. this right and yeah. Apple got this right. And and it's like a process versus results thing. It almost doesn't matter if the SE succeeds or not. It's the fact that it is yeah. out there that is a good sign and and then Apple can adjust going forward. We just know we know they have the capability to adjust now. And and that was an open question. And and it's 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 a rare uh, it's a rare and valuable thing inside a big company and especially inside a big company that's as successful as this uh, that's starting to like there's starting to be questions raised about where its future growth is coming from. The fact that 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 um, the fact that that uh, exhibit a move like this, I think, speaks very highly of how smart their management are. Just to take this full circle, it reinforces the point that Apple's struggle in the cloud don't really have anything to do with competence. Like, and and that that that's almost the frustration of this whole thing. Like mm. from my estimation, again, the, the, the struggles with the cloud come from what it takes to succeed in the cloud being orthogonal to what it takes to succeed as a device company. Yeah. And, right. and if you accept that as being true, then you would expect Apple to be very smart and wise about their device business. And I just wish they would take and and this demonstrates that, right? It's a smart, practical pragmatic move that makes a lot of sense and they're well placed going forward they can they can always make a bigger screen cheap iphone like mm-hmm. like and now we know that they they're willing to consider it right yeah. and and they don't get it's not they got dumb suddenly when it came to building a cloud business like managers managers don't oscillate between being smart and being dumb what changes is the context and the motivations and what skills are necessary and I think that in all, in some respects, the fact that we can both eviscerate and praise Apple in the same podcast is evidence of the point I've been trying to make for years about about them in the cloud. I'm glad you came full circle. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. Cool. Uh, well, we did go a little long, uh, but I'm glad. But hey, the pot, the podcast is all bonus anyway. So yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. And thank you everyone for uh, for putting up with our little diversion, or what was to be a quick diversion onto what we talked about last week with Apple in the cloud, which ended up longer than we expected. But I, I think it was a productive conversation. Sounds good. Well, I'm glad to hear that you are doing well, and uh, hope you continue to recover. And uh, I will talk to you next week. Sounds good, mate. See ya. All right. Bye bye. This was good. I'm glad we did it. Uh, it and also, I, I totally meant it. Like, the, even the stuff, the thing on Monday about Google was like, that was, um, I almost wrote to you and said, you should just, un, you should unleash this on the public. Like, the way you threaded those things together was phenomenal. Yeah, I, I, I was, I thought about it, but I, but I planned to write about the Apple thing and the, this, this India thing um, was my plan for the weekly article. And, and so, yeah, that's what I wasn't sure about. Yeah, the timing kind of sucked, right? So what did you think about my ending for the Andy Grove article? I mean, I, th- I thought they were both ph- phenomenal articles, but on bo- in both instances, I was just ready to keep reading. Right. Not that they were, not that they were bad. I no, was just- no, but the, 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 last, um, uh, the last sentence of the Grove article is, uh, uh, or last two sentences, Grove is to be admired for avoiding that trap and is encouraging that Apple CEO Tim Cook seems to be doing the same. 
And fortunately for the Apple CEO, he, like Grove, can likely leave the truly devastating but ultimately understandable mistake for a successor. <laughs> you know, I um, uh, didn't see that until you pointed it out. But um, yes, uh, that's that's nice. Uh, yeah, no, I, I could expand on that, but then we're getting into another article. But yeah, basically yeah. The, the point is like, like as long as Tim Cook makes the right decisions with the iPhone, like his tenure will be a success. Right. And it's this, and it's this the next is, thing. Right. Yeah. It was purposely very subtle, but it's the stuff we're talking about. Like once you move beyond the phone. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what, what, what is Apple going to miss out on? What is the thing that, you know, what, what, I mean, it, it made total, it's totally understandable why Apple, why Intel didn't want to provide processors for the iPhone. Um, doesn't make it any less of a mistake, but it's, oh, in the cloud thing I didn't get to, uh, that I um, mentioned the, the connection back to the cloud, the, the full circle I didn't take was, uh, was Microsoft. I mean, the, 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 what the big, the, the way to think about Andy Grove and why what he did was impressive is to put it in contrast to Microsoft. And, and because, and they're so, they're so intertwined in people's minds, you know, mm. Microsoft and, and, and Intel. But what Microsoft under Steve Ballmer, and Steve Ballmer is very much kind of the analog to Grove. Like he wasn't a founder, but he was the enforcer. He's the guy that was responsible for so much of the business of Microsoft mm. um, and, and, and the strategy and the sales. Uh, but what he was incapable of, of doing was imagining an identity for Microsoft that did not involve windows. And this is what made the first decision by Grove, the memory decision impressive. Again, if you back up and the whole, the whole thing that made Grove such an impressive manager was his innate ability to kind of put himself outside of himself and look at it as an outsider. But, but what made the memory thing impressive was not that it wasn't the obvious thing to do because it was the obvious thing to do, but Intel was a memory company. That's the way they identify themselves. That's what they were. That's where they did their best processes, their best workers, their best engineers. And even though it was obvious to everyone on the outside that the microprocessor business is where they should be, like it was so hard to change their identity. And, and this is the thing with Microsoft. It's been obvious for years that Microsoft needs to be a cloud company, that their future is, is the cloud. And not only that, but the potential for Azure is arguably almost certainly bigger than it ever was for windows. Like that's how huge this cloud opportunity is. Yep. But, but, and, and, and Microsoft started Azure under Balmer, but, but the Balmer's mistake was he couldn't, break away from the identity of Microsoft as a Windows company. Yep. And that's why he had to go. And, and that's the that's the number one thing that Adele has accomplished and been so impressive is he has changed the identity of Microsoft. Not and not just externally, but internally. And and that's what Grove had to do with microprocessors. Microprocessors was our at the time that Grove made this decision that he's so known for. And it, by the way, it speaks to like how influential he was that he was actually COO at the time. Gordon Moore was still the CEO, but ever like Grove is the guy that ran this ran the show from day one in many respects. Um, what what makes it so impressive was the microprocessor division already existed. They had already signed the deal with IBM. Their future was as bright as could be. They just had to, they just had to accept it. But it shows how powerful identity and culture can be. That they, that it's hailed as this great, like this obvious decision is hailed as this brilliant bit of management because people innately understand how hard it is to change a company's sense of uh, yeah. self. 
Right. I mean, it's hard to do that for individuals. You attach yourself to the identity of the company. It would be. Oh, you see, with politics, be, with all kinds of stuff, people like right. are totally irrational about stuff because they so want what they believe to be true. Yeah, it, it's and it's that that for them to do it like the the like well, what would you do if we're going to get fired? And it, it, that 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 notion, that conversation between. Moore and Grove, like, we're going to get fired if we keep doing this. Well, if you were the new management, what would you do? It would be, we'll come back and we'll come back as a CPU company. He's like, well, let's walk out the door, fire ourselves, come back in as new management. And it's, it's, it, uh, it sounds trite, but that's so hard to do. Well, the thing about that, though, too, well, and this is, this is the contrast thing between the two decisions. This is a point I was going to make in the article, but I didn't. Um, I ended up going a slightly different direction. But, uh, the other the thing that's underappreciated about the decision is that conversation between Moore and Grove, it took another like two years for them to actually close the memory business. Right? Because it was so hard to get internal buy-in and to get people on board. And again, they had all the best people on memory, all the most expensive facilities. Everything was focused around memory. And and this was why, actually, I remember I wrote a couple of years ago that Microsoft should break itself apart. Or, and that's what I said yeah. the Nadella should do. And the reason was exactly this, mm. because I was confident that Nadella knew where Microsoft needed to go. I just seriously doubted whether Microsoft could change its internal perception of itself, not at the CEO level, but at the, at, at, at the, at the lower levels. Rank and file. Right, exactly. And, and they did manage to do it. And, and basically, Microsoft was reorged to the point where micro, Windows is often in this corner with all the other less corner. important strategically businesses. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but 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 and this is what – and it's interesting to think about the different difficult decisions that CEOs have to make. So what was difficult about for Windows, it was difficult for Grove in the memory decision, was that was a decision where uh, it's hard for a CEO to make, and Grove was better than Balmer that he was able to make it. But the true difficulty is getting internal buy-in because you're changing right. the culture. The What's interesting about this other – the other decision making the seller on is – and, and uh, Apple making the SE is in that case, that's actually harder for a CEO to make. It's or it's because the CEO is measured by margin and ratios and these sorts of things. Whereas internally, the internal culture, it's arguably easier to get buy-in, if that makes right. sense. You know yeah, what I mean? No, and makes, so they're, they're kind of the exact opposite sort of challenge. It's interesting. You know, that's super interesting. Like the, 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 the tension, the external pressure versus the internal buy-in, like that, the, the tension between those two and, uh, the the way you just described it and brought it to light is super interesting, and I hadn't thought about it before. Yeah. So anyhow, um, maybe we'll stick this on uh, as a yeah. number of a longer podcast. But uh, but yeah, I, I could Intel. It, I mean, like it was it was like twenty four hundred words, twenty hundred words as it was. I could write about Intel and and Apple, frankly. And Microsoft, like, but particularly Intel. Intel is so, I feel like today's, so many of today's techies just, they don't appreciate Intel enough, frankly. And this is like an old fogey talking, but, but like, why is it that all, like, all the old people in the Valley, like, just have so much reverence for Intel and, 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 and for Grove and, yeah. Again, I try to capture the beginning. In part, it's because Intel made all this possible. Like people talk about Moore's Law, like it's a fact, but no, Moore's Law was a choice, 
right? Like, like we are going to double the number of transitions on the chip every year. And at the beginning of Intel's life, it was a necessary one because there was so much competition. But later on, um, yes, Intel slowed down a bit and AMD kind of came back and put pressure on them again. But in general, like Intel has just committed billions of dollars every single year to make things faster and faster, which by extension lets us abstract things on the back. Um, in the software more and more go further and further up the stack all the developments in software and everything depends and assumes that the underlying hardware is getting faster and uh, and and there's lots and the other thing i didn't get into and i could go on on and on about is the implication of moore's law slowing down now for physical and economic reasons and And also the shift in the value chain to software. And like there's – there's actually, I'm, I might write about it again next week if nothing happens um, just because I've been thinking about it a lot and uh, it's so interesting. And Intel is rightly – they're in some respects rightly not really thought about anymore. But, but Well, because the, the, basis, the basis of perf- the, the uh, p- performance is overshot in the arena in which they compete, right? On the de- like the reason people techies don't care about it anymore is no one is – craving more speed on the desktop like additional speed is 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 over performance for the vast majority of people and it's it's the the new frontier on the phones where people are paying much more attention i i think that's the reason why people newer techies quote unquote don't don't do that but people who lived through waiting minutes for their pc to boot up or for uh, pivot tables to run or uh, or photoshop filters to run or whatever they remember like yeah. They remember, and it, it was a big deal every year when the new generation of of Intel processors came out and and cut those numbers down dramatically. And 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 the Apple world too, where where Intel was killing it with scale, and Apple was on the um, uh, the six eight OXO processor, um, and then the RISC processors like the PowerPC. Like uh, folks on the Apple side remember that pretty. <laughs> pretty well too. Yeah, the Cisc risk thing is 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 another uh, is something is is actually another f- probably the other really big uh, Grove decision. And he kind of muddled it up honestly. Like they Intel launched a a risk processor um, into the market at the same time was, they did the three eighty or I can't remember when it was. Um, I thought it was afterwards. I thought was it the, no was it the. I'm not talking about titanium. I'm talking about uh, uh, like the eight oh nine or something. I can't remember. It's something uh. like that. Um, and the market, it was it kind of muddled the market a little bit, but the, basically what it came down to was, uh, you know, risk is a more uh, efficient design. ARM is risk. Uh, yeah. And, and Apple and and basically w- w- was Intel's choosing between backwards compatibility and market momentum versus a more elegant solution. And they made the right choice. They, they chose the, the what was more of a kludge. Um, you know, Cisc had advantages, particularly around memory. Um, but... You know, in, in they're kind of reaping the problems now. Actually, Intel's processors are risk now, uh, but yeah. but they basically they Intel transcodes it from Cisc to risk, uh, and then runs it runs it as, as it, anyhow. It's it's complicated, but um, <laughs> yeah, I could. There's so much about Intel that's so interesting and plays into not just the history of the valley, also the the Intel like all the the office culture, the hard driving Grove like be throwing his temper tantrums um but also like holding people to these standards letting them letting them giving them the enough rope to hang themselves um management practices one-on-ones like compensating people with stock like so much of everyone in the valley's day-to-day existence goes straight back to intel yeah anyhow uh yeah so uh 
yeah, Andy Grove. Uh, Expect more from Ben. <laughs> well, I mean, the other, I mean, the other <laughs> thing that makes me think about is the is the Amazon thing. Like, where, like, I'm surprised we haven't yet gotten the articles about how Andy Grove was actually a terrible person and a bad boss and and yelled at people. The Jeff um, Bezos comparison. Yes, and the Steve Jobs comparison, and and uh, and certainly there is an like people. Th- there- People feel justified to be bad bosses. Well, people feel justified to be bad bosses because Steve Jobs is a bad boss. Steve Jobs felt, you know, he had his own issues, but the first, the first one was was Grove in many respects, and but it gets at this, it gets at this tension. Like he, he extracted more from his employees than than and set that the model for doing that. And is that a bad thing? Like Intel. Like I, I, I think that's the difference. I think that's the thing that people don't get. They anchor on the fact that these folks had tempers um, or, or whatever or the meltdowns or whatever. But really, I think it was uh, – and you hear mixed reports. I really feel like it was part of a – it is part of getting the most out of people as opposed to a bad boss who is throwing a temper tantrum because that's what they feel like. It's not about maximizing performance, maximizing potential. There's a difference. I do one step beyond. What made Grove a great CEO and and Jobs and and these, these other quote-unquote tyrants is that they weren't tyrants. It's that they had yeah. all of them, and Bezos too – demonstrated continually a willingness to change their mind and a willingness right. to listen and and what intel fostered and what the the valley at its finest is better at is this idea that anyone in the corporate stack anyone in the hierarchy yes. if they have a good idea they should bring it forward they should challenge management and they should say you're doing it wrong and they shouldn't right. feel afraid to do that and that's what makes the difference between all these petty little right. tyrants that think they're Steve Jobs and Steve Jobs himself and Andy Grove is that they had a flex they were forceful and they pushed their point of view but they were willing to be wrong and when they were wrong they were totally unabashed and unashamed to say that they were and and, and, and they change and they fostered cultures that encouraged exactly. people to push back on exactly. them that's the difference that's how you know it's, if it's healthy it's, or not it's like the Bridgewater like the the the, uh, the hedge right. fund right right like, it's it's. Do we talk about them on the thing, podcast? I can't remember. We have we have talked about Bridgewater on the podcast. Like it's, that's exactly it. It's one thing to just like I want to get my way. It's another thing to have a strongly held opinion, but to have it completely open and to actually encourage dissent and be willing to change your mind when you're wrong. Yeah, that's the knife's edge that these these great CEOs are on. Like they they the to maintain the strength of. The, to maintain the, the the purpose and the and the push and the the certainty of that you're right while maintaining the flexibility to to admit you're wrong and to change course and and if you and that's what makes it oh and that's why they're able to get the best out of people right because yeah. you you yeah if 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 your boss is yelling at you but you genuinely believe that he or she is completely invested in your success and the success of the company. And that if you stand up to them, they will listen. And if you're right, they will change. That makes it much easier to take because yeah, it's, it's where it's coming from. It's like, what's their motivation in doing it? And that, and that's when motivation does matter. 
And I, you know, and I think that's why it's so easy to misread these uh, on the outside because most of the people writing about it probably have only seen the petty tyrant version of the person that yells as opposed to the person that yells because they want to get it right because they care about your success and they care about the success of the mission they're pursuing. Right. And it's not even the yelling. I'm like, the, 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 yeah, right. The, there's, yeah. I the, remember, I remember the job story about how he's like, the, the, the guy was like complaining he couldn't get the boot time to go any faster. And Jobs is like, well, if it was an ambulance and people's lives depended on it, could you do it? And the guy felt so mortified that he managed to make it happen. Like it, it's, <laughs> it's not just yelling and screaming. He knew what buttons to press to get people to perform at their best. Yeah. Uh, you've got a gargantuan task if you're going to try and edit all this in. I'm assuming we might save this fodder for a later discussion. Uh, yeah, I, I might just throw it on at the end. I mean, we already wrapped it up. So, all right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Sounds good. I will talk to you later. Uh, yeah. See you, mate. Bye. Okay.